Welcome to Season 8 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? You want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And this is like our eighth season, but it's kind of like a little bit of an extra, I don't know what to call it. I've been calling it our eighth season, but we've, we've kind of gotten out of that. Um, so last season, we focused on research and scholarship in the field. We talked to journal editors, editors of publications for practitioners. We talked to scholars. We talked to peer reviewers, pretty much anyone who touched research in the leadership education field. And we asked them their perspective of this central question, where do leadership educators go for research? So during one of our episodes, we interviewed Dr. Tony Andonaro and Kristen Salente Scandell about their leadership and work in the field. This sparked a really cool idea for us. Why not talk to all of the folks that were involved in their project? So Dan will give you a little bit of background, but this episode is part of our series of conversations with lead authors of the nine priorities of the National Leadership Education Research Agenda 2020 to 2025. It was originally published in volume 14, issue number three of the Journal of Leadership. That's right. It was. And as a refresher uh, for our listeners, so the purpose of that project of the NLERA or NLERA, as we've been playing around with that in our uh, interviews here, was to provide a roadmap for future research in leadership education. And it was developed by a big group, I think it was 50 something authors um, across the nine priorities, different leadership scholars, practitioners from not just leadership, but other fields as well. The intent being to guide researchers in identifying important areas of inquiry, developing research questions, designing studies, uh, all, all with the intent to contribute to the understanding and improvement of our field of leadership education. And again, the agenda culminated in those nine specific priorities, ideally, that will help to inform the future practice and development of the next generation of leaders uh, and or our students, right, depending on your different contexts. So today, we're speaking with two of the lead authors of priority number four, which was titled, A Critical Look at Leadership Education Preparation, Developing an Intentional and Diverse Approach to Leadership Learning and Development. And with us is Dr. Darren Pierre, lecturer in the Office of Global Engineering Leadership in the A. James Clark School of Engineering at the University of Maryland, and Dr. Carrie Priest, professor in the Staley School of Leadership and program director for leadership communication at Kansas State University. Welcome back to the show, Darren. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Lauren and Dan, for having us. Yeah, and welcome back to the show, Carrie. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. We are so excited to dive into this conversation. I think we were, we were commenting right before we uh, jumped on. I think this is the first time we've had two guests at the same time that have both returning guests to the podcast. So that is super exciting. And uh, I'm going to be like super geeking out like crazy on this particular topic because it's one that is near and dear to my heart. People ask me about, you know, what what do I do? I mean, why are we doing this podcast, right, Lauren? Um, it's all about increasing and developing the capacity of of leadership educators to do that work what they love and to make those impacts. And I've had opportunities to Carrie and I wrote a wrote a book, depending on what uh, Susan and <clears throat> Susan and Kathy call the the New Directions series, the uh, 2019 
was 2019? That sounds right, right? The New Directions for Student Leadership series on becoming and being a leadership educator. And then I've worked closely with Carrie and then uh, and then more recently with uh, with Darren as co-facilitators of the Leadership Education Academy, which is a professional development opportunity. I know we've talked about that on our show before, um, but this year, uh, Carrie is co-chairing that. So, um, and her and Nathan Eva, who we've also had on the podcast this season, are doing a bang up job of that and uh, excited to have Darren returning as well as a facilitator this year. So again, I am geeking out like crazy on this particular topic. I'm really excited to to dive in and to really get into the, the nitty gritty of this particular priority. So fun things all around. So I, I guess the, to, to start us out, like how did y'all get involved in this particular project? And I guess like what excited you specifically about this particular priority? I was really excited about this project and this topic within this second version, this revised version of the National Leadership Education Research Agenda, because it wasn't in the first one. And it really represented uh, the trajectory and the growth of the field around this area. So going back to, you know, how, how this topic even sort of emerged. What when we look at the literature, we know the work of Heath Harding in her, and his in around 2012 was publishing some work on looking at um, leadership educators' experiences in the classroom and starting to bring this discourse, this narrative of a journey um, coming into the work of leadership educators. And then uh, Corey Seemler and I, based on some work with colleagues um, in developing the Leadership Education Academy, really able to surface this idea of a hidden who in the field and the need to really understand the development of leadership educators. I know Dan um, has advanced uh, some research looking at educators as well as did many folks begin to kind of shift our focus to not just um, what educators do and like what we need to do for students, but like who they are and who are we and how do we, how, how do we come into this work? So that was really exciting to see, you know, even in just, I guess, the five or so years between, maybe it's a little bit longer between those agendas, you know, this elevation of this particular focus of research and scholarship in the field. So I was excited to join with many others. I'm sure Darren can talk a bit more about like our collaboration uh, to, to explore this topic in the agenda. So um, I'll share how I kind of came to this and Lauren and Dan, hopefully I'm not you know, um, given a preview of upcoming events in terms of the questions that you all have for us. But really, I was struck by this statement that was said to me once by the wonderful Dr. Patty Perillo, who serves as the Vice President of Student Affairs here at the University of Maryland College Park. And she said, we can only take people as far as we have come. And that has really stuck with me for such a long time. I got in a phone call from Dr. Kristen Skindel asking me if I would consider developing a proposal for what I think should be part of this uh, 2020 to 2025 uh, National Leadership Education Research Agenda. And I really put the proposal together really with that quote in mind of we can only take people as far as we have come. We talk about authenticity, we teach about servant leadership, we teach about transformational leadership, but how are we onboarded as educators into these realms? How are we, com how are we complicating, interrogating, and troubling our own lives these constructs that we teach in the classroom? And is there a direct correlation between how we trouble it in our own lives and our effectiveness in the pedagogical approaches that we utilize in teaching. 
And Bell Hooks has a great quote about this same kind of construct of you can only take people as far as we have as you have come in her book, Teaching to Transgress. So I developed a proposal based on that kind of uh, grounding. And the beauty uh, of the challenge of the greatness of it all is that there were a multitude of proposals that were put together. And so when uh, Tony and Kristen were looking at this and looking at the proposals, they said, wow, there's a common theme amongst a couple of these proposals. And what if rather than having, uh, because there was limitations in terms of scope and size of how large this research agenda could be, what if we had several authors come together around one general theme? And that's kind of how uh, Carrie and I, Dan and uh, Amy Barnes, Lori Moore, Corey C. Miller, Kathy Guthrie, Cameron Betty, Adrian Bitton, Antonio Duran, Krista Bailey, and Summer Odom. And Allison Dunn, how we all came together uh, in this conversation around this particular priority. That's 13 people, okay? There were 13 <laughs> authors on this agenda for this priority. And Darren led us all. So thank you, Darren, for, for coordinating us. Which we were a case study in leadership. I mean, we were a case study of like Tutman's model of group development from norming, storming, performing a journey. Like we were all in all of that. Um, but I believe what came out of it was rich brilliance. And I'm so hopeful that you'll have, and I know you've had some of the other authors I just mentioned on your program before because they each brought such richness. What we had an opportunity to do was read each other's proposals that we developed. And each of these could have been standalone. It's simply that with the confines of space that we had, we had to come together but each of them came to this conversation with their own lens, their own positionality, and each was so rich that they really could have been four or five different research agendas um, from what came from the brilliance of the ensemble that came together to work on this particular priority. I'm going to pitch somebody on a, where they follow 13 authors trying to work together <laughs> on a research agenda, on a priority. Just every, stay tuned. Yeah, like a road rules or like a um, real world, right? The challenge, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Laura, we will sign non-disclosure agreements, so we will not be part of that 13, but I'm sure you'll find 13 others who can share from their experience. It would be something else. You know, it's it, it's interesting to hear y'all speak about this. And, you know, I was, I share a lot of the, um, I mean, we I know that we share the similar passions around developing leadership educators and learning more about you know the places and spaces and experiences and identities you know are, and all the things that contributed to the professional identities that that, that uh, we bring to our spaces as as leadership educators and your point Carrie it was interesting you know that this this component wasn't in the uh, the research agenda from 2013 2018 and as someone that was part of that that writing team that was a huge huge oversight um, and I think that that probably, and some of the early research care that, that you and I did together back in the day at, um, I think that was the Key West ALE conference, right? Like 2012, where we we did a round table or a workshop or something where we were collecting data on like, what are the needs of leadership educators? Like, and it a, a lot of that ended up being incorporated into the first Leadership Education Academy and the research that you and Corey did when you were collecting the vision statements and some of the other things from folks uh, with their consent, of course, at uh, the LEAs we did in 2015 and 2017, which 
culminated into the leadership educator professional identity development model and those two great articles that you and and Corey uh, co-authored and then uh, some of the research that that I had done looking at not only what did leadership educators do in the classroom, but learning more about their stories through some phenomenological and mixed methods research. And that and that all kind of left us thinking about, okay, well, we have LEA, like what else is going on in the field or maybe even like writ large, if somebody wants to, you know, if you if you're a guidance counselor and uh, you know, you're and a junior says, uh, in high school, well, I want to be a leadership educator. You know, you're like, well, where do I steer you? You know, what what does this path look like? Where where might you go to to go on that that path or that journey? How do we professionally prepare folks to do this work, uh, whether it be earlier on at at the undergraduate level or certainly maybe more directly in graduate and professional programs? Which I think we're starting. You know, we're slowly starting to trickle into that into that area and seeing more of that. And I know that some of the co-authors. You know, Darren and 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 Allison and uh, and some others that weren't on this party, but also feel passionate about this, and or have uh, taught or have some components of their graduate programs specifically steered towards developing leadership educators, whether it be through pedagogy or through scholarship and creative activity or identity development. I mean, all the things that we talked about in our new directions carry in some of those panels, Darren, and certainly in this particular priority um, and thinking about, okay, now that we know a little bit more about leadership educators, uh, perhaps these are the most, I guess, important or critical things that we need to focus on when we think about professional development programs, but I guess like that's that's not all, right? I mean, what else kind of sparked from y'all as you're thinking about that and how that was, I guess, articulated or or, or drawn attention to in this particular priority or, or maybe even in your own practice since this was written? I think a useful way to, to respond is to unpack what some of these elements of the priority are. I think, Dan, you were alluding actually to a lot of them in your in your description. And I'll share from my lens just how the kind of the bigger bigger overview that I as I was rereading them again we were we were joking just a bit at, before the um, session started about having to refresh ourselves too on the things we uh, wrote a while ago but there's there's a lot of nuance within the priority itself but kind of four big things that I think this priority addresses is what do leadership educators need to do there's this question of like what are the competencies or the practices the knowledge the skills, behaviors that leadership educators do or, or need to do. Um, and of course, there's a lot uh, to unpack in when we, anytime we try to talk about best practices or trying to put a label of a competency around. I think the critical nature of this priority is um, having that lens that, that um, advocates for best practice, but also uh, questions and uh, best practice and um, asks us to think about context uh, very deeply anytime we are trying to create um, competencies. But like you mentioned, Dan, that the model of leadership educator professional development offers some broad categories around what it, what are some competencies around um, areas of knowledge, around teaching and learning and program design, um, around uh, scholarship and creative work as well as many others. So that's one kind of priority. I think another priority that surfaced is understanding more about who leadership educators are, how they see themselves in the work, um, the, who is represented in the work, 
uh, who is not represented in the work. And when we talk about identity, we certainly talk about professional identity development, but also the ways that our personal and social identities intersect with that process and influence um, all of the decisions that we make as educators and, and the experiences we have. With that, we're thinking about preparation in terms of formal and informal preparation. Like you said, the increase in graduate programs that have um, a specific focus on leadership education. We need to understand how are people being prepared? Um, how is that working? What kind of environments is that is, is that happening in? Um, what are the contexts and paradigms and disciplines in which that's happening? Um, but there's also informal ways that people are coming, still continue to come into the field and understanding those informal preparation pieces. Uh, and then ongoing professional development work, how do things like associations, conferences, trainings, what, what are people in doing to continue to engage in professional development and then how effective is that? With that is this question about promotion and tenure. That's really emerged as well for those who are in um, those particular roles where that, uh, where they're going up for promotion and tenure, how do we communicate about that, about the work we do in, in those contexts? I'll just kind of pause and I'll turn over to Darren to reflect a bit more on, you know, some how he uh, thinks about some of these priorities. I think a couple of things I'll just, I think, Carrie hit on it so nicely. One of the things I wanna, I would say to compliment what Carrie offered was that there was, as she mentioned, this critical lens of how we look at it. So how are we um, continuing to promote hegemonic practices was one of the things that was brought up. And one of the authors I don't think I mentioned the last time, but was integral in these conversations of giving the critical lens was Cameron Beatty from um, Florida State University. Cameron, Antonio Duran, Adrian Benton really brought in this um, thought around how do we engage in this work around interrogating what is leadership, educator preparation, but how do we do it from a critical lens? How are we continuing to manufacture, produce, you know, ways of being which continue to promote exclusionary practices? How are we thinking about the hidden who of who is the leadership educator? Um, how are we thinking about how they're onboarded and what is the conversations in that onboarding process? And how are leadership educators, um, how are we thinking about critically how they're onboarded and then how are they critically engaging theories in classroom settings? Each of these conversations around criticality um, became a complementary component, a central component in many ways, I would argue, um, to this particular priority. Um, I think what drew me to some of this is this work isn't easy, you know? So for many of your listeners, they know about the social change model. And in the social change model, we talk about, you know, controversy with civility and we talk about it. Well, there's a lot of people who may be listening who go home at night and they look at their kids, they look at their partner and be like, you are the last person on earth I want to talk to right now. Controversy with civility, it's a lovely construct. It's a lovely thing to describe but the implementation of it is beyond reproach. It is, it, is, it, is, it is hard to deal with. And it's interesting that we worked on this priority in January, February of 2020, and then we went into the pandemic. And I feel like in some ways this was almost prophetic because the pandemic and everything that happened beyond COVID-19, the social, economic, the racial pandemics that we were experiencing amplified that if you haven't done your own work as a leadership educator, how are you really holding space for your students to do this type of work? 
I'll share so many things I want to comment on. So this is not a question, but more of just like, here's some dope points that y'all have that I want to share. Um, So that last point, Darren, you made, I remember when I was in the midst of trying to write my dissertation and I was talking about the pandemic, but I, I couldn't find the language for, but we're experiencing multiple pandemics because this, this public health crisis is complicated if you belong in different spaces or have different identities. And, and part of my own like, exploration has been, what do we name this? There's no research. I can't go to a journal article and find a name for this. And, and my, my advisor and I fortunately had some really good discussions around it. There are some now, but, but it speaks to your point about the pandemic offered just a really good time for exploration. Um, Carrie, I love how you broke down the priorities too, because it's helpful to distinguish. So Dan and I've talked to almost everybody and the, the thing I like about these conversations is we're starting to find kind of those individual streams. So like there are some things that you see across all nine priorities, this emphasis on social justice, this emphasis on critique, um, another theme around, oh gosh, there's one more theme. Anyway, it'll come to me at some point later on when we're not recording. But but the 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 opportunity to really kind of get into the the nuances of what makes priority four different from six, different from eight when it's not quite clear just reading the title, I think is super helpful, um, especially when we know that with this one specifically, it's all about kind of us as professors and researchers and scholars. And, you know, Darren, that that initial comment about if you haven't pulled back the lens on yourself, you know, we oftentimes focus so much on the right pedagogy or the right um, tool or activity. And sometimes we haven't done our, had our own conversations about our own growth and development and, and our strengths and weaknesses. And if you're not living in that kind of space of constant development, then it could get, you could easily get sucked down the wrong lane or, or go down the wrong path. And you have a generation of leaders that that's going to be harmed um, by this. So I kind of just feel like I appreciate this conversation even more because of what you two have shared. And, and it, it almost kind of highlights, it, and, and this, again, I appreciate about yours. You're very specific about kind of what you think folks should do. The all four, 13, 15, the leadership Tang clan of you, um, to borrow from our Wu-Tang clan friends, um, the leadership Tang clan of you has been very specific about what's next. So it's it's easy to see and it's it's really easy to read. So again, it's like when you're on talk radio, first time caller, long time listener, no real com, no real question, but just kind of commenting on some of the things y'all chose to pull up, pull out of there. Well, and I just want to give a whoop whoop for our how did you call us the 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 the, the, the leadership Tang clan? The the lead leadership Tang clan. Um uh, which I think Wu-Tang Clan, I don't know if they would co-sign on us, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go fully with it. I want to just um, acknowledge the brilliance that everyone brought to this, because what I hope your readers take away from this is I know what it's like to be a practitioner doing this work who's not a leadership educator in a traditional curricular sense, but maybe doing leadership development in student affairs or leadership development and an offshoot of student affairs in a particular unit, like you know the College of Business or the College of Education. And so you're not engaged in the literature every day. With these priorities, and that's why I just think that this whole piece that was done, this, this whole volume 14, issue three from 2020 is so rich because if you're not in the literature every day, here gives you a succinct understanding of these are the contemporary conversations to look at. And particularly for our priority, 
I mean, you have some of the most brilliant minds. If someone asked me what was the biggest challenge for me, it was getting over myself of my own imposter syndrome of being around such great brilliance. It was so much rich brilliance from people who I've read and admired for years. The greatness in that is bringing that community together who worked on all of these various priorities is that now those who don't have an opportunity because of the day-to-day demands of the work can't be in the research like these brilliant authors have been for each of these priorities, not just ours. That this um, collaborative piece gives each of your readers an opportunity to say, okay, these are what the contemporary conversations are in these various areas. And so as I'm thinking about my own work and practice, what are the implications I can take from what these incredible scholars have put together here with this piece? I'm glad you brought that up, the social and physical location of some of the, like the instructors or the program coordinators. Like when you talked about onboarding, I was sitting sitting here kind of laughing, laughing because I'm in an advertising and PR department. So no one is really talking about leadership, research and literature and why these spaces with leadership educators matter more because I can go and I can talk to someone who has a nuanced understanding in the same way when we talk about public relations I can go to my colleagues and talk about some of those spaces that exist and so I love that 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 I, I mean I, again I go back to that social and physical location of the leadership educator is so crucial in this conversation and to to be to contribute to a work that uh, no matter where you are in that space you can see yourself is super super helpful. I agree that it's important to acknowledge that there's many, many entry points into leadership education. And there's there's many different roles, contexts, disciplines, uh, places people are situated inside and outside of institutions, in communities. And so one of the challenges I think of doing research in this area is how do we even talk about it? And and when we're doing research, making really clear how we're situating the questions we're asking in in what context and around what particular roles is part of how we get better at doing this research. We can't generalize really research about leadership educators, or we really shouldn't do that anymore, right? Like we do need to get more and more precise and specific in, in how we're generating the research questions and how we're answering them. And so this priority also speaks to some different methodologies and approaches to research that I think are are useful and probably don't feel surprising to most of us as if, who who do research because we understand that there it's an evolving um that the questions of today require you know different kinds of methods but just a couple of things that came up in terms of recommendations for methods is the need to have more collaborative research between diverse scholars. And again, this was a kind of a um, pre-pandemic recommendation. And Darren and I actually had an opportunity to be part of a collaborative inquiry of diverse scholars kind of during and through the pandemic that generated some, some new scholarship around how leadership educators think about themselves and how we navigate complex transitions. So, you know, when I think about that experience, I can draw that connection back to this particular recommendation and that, you know, that we're doing these things now. Like there's there's also examples of like what that might look like. Um, more research that is situated within a critical paradigm is, uh, is important. Uh, and 
certainly there is there are some amazing our, our field has an amazing group of uh emerging and developing scholars who are doing some fantastic critical work i could i i could spend all day like listing them but i uh i was just at the leadership education institute dan or dan was there with me um and, and maybe some of you maybe everyone else was too um that was like a semester ago, but I was just so impressed with the scholarship that uh, was emerging through the through a critical lens and the work that many of these, I'll, I'll go ahead and say young scholars are doing or newer scholars, not all are maybe young, but their newer scholars are doing uh, different kinds of methods like phenomenologies, self-study, which comes out of education, narrative inquiry, ethnography, uh, and discourse analysis are different types of methodologies that um, would be would be very useful in doing this kind of work. And you know, continuing to strive to do work that's multi-institutional, multidisciplinary, and thinking about how we don't just do research on educators, but we really do research with educators. How do we think about this as engaged work, as action learning, as um, an opportunity as we're doing professional development to also study and, and learn from and with that professional development. Yeah. Well, you make some, some great points and it's interesting, you know, looking back at this, you know, th three years later and being, I guess, in the thick of this alongside the leadership tang clan, is that what we're calling it, Lauren and, and Darren? This, uh, but not only are these like some dear friends that, that I wrote with, you know, it's folks that I'm lucky enough to, to share some some spaces with and, and different uh, associations and different projects and what have you. And so it's interesting that we were so explicit about this, you know, if you look at the third page of this uh, article, you know, this ca a call to action, advancing the agenda, like we were like, look, y'all, this is what we need to do next. And, um, you know, I've seen some of this in action. I mean, just a couple of things that, that come to mind. One of the things that I know, you know, to kind of Go back to um, you know to carry that you and Nathan uh, Eva are co-chairing the Leadership Education Academy. You know, this is the sixth time uh, this upcoming tail end July and August that we'll be doing this professional development program. But y'all really pushed us to deconstruct, reconstruct components of that, and that is something that I know in some ways I, I struggled with when I was a little earlier on in my career, and it was other facilitators that would come to to me or to Corey and to say, yeah, but what about this societal implication or what about this evolution in our thinking about this topic or social justice or diversity or globalization or you know you know fill in the blank and how we would evolve and and i guess up update you know which i guess uh, are some of the uh, ways that we respond to things like hey deconstruct reconstruct and looking at these things through a critical lens and the program's better as a result and having co-facilitators that challenge one another is the best recipe, I think, for, for success in a professional development program that has to that has to align itself with with the needs, the changing and evolving professional identities of folks that are doing this work. And, and some are coming from higher education, within higher education, some are coming from academic units, some from student affairs units, some folks are executive coaches, they're in training and development, they're outside of higher, whatever, whatever it is. And so I think that's been a big part of this, you know, and uh, one of the things that is laid out and emphasized in the uh, priority is 
this idea around evaluating professional development programs, right? Which is kind of funny. It's like, hey, not only do we need to like make these better and think about what the key components are of them, but yeah, we should probably evaluate them too. I mean, we're kind of like, we're doing a lot of self-work here, right? And and saying, here are the things that we think we should be doing because we've been we've been living this and this has been like really, really close to our to our hearts. So again, I kind of like what Lauren said, observations, um, but maybe not specific questions. I think the other thing that really jumped out to me here, which I, I now find myself immersed in a project that responds specifically to the call to have a apply a more critical lens to the pedagogical practices that we employ as leadership educators. And maybe this is a plug for something coming out in a couple of years if we get this project organized. But um, Scott Allen and Dave Rosh and I, who we've had on the podcast, have been coordinating a big group of authors to uh, on a book project around specifically looking at, okay, well, we know that discussions used a lot in leadership education, but like, does that mean it's good just because we use it a lot? You know, what, what do we really know about that as a pedagogy? What about case studies? What about role play? What about games? What about, you know, any of the things that we do in the classroom, you know? And so it's really interesting to see, I think maybe because I'm immersed in this part of the research more than probably any of the other eight priorities, I see that happening. Um, and I see that we've responded to some of this stuff. You know, I'm curious, what what are y'all seeing perhaps in your spaces and places that are perhaps direct responses to some of the things that were laid out here? I wanted to re- revisit, and it kind of complements what you yeah. just said, Dan. I want to revisit something that Carrie said about, you know, the who is the leisure educator. You know, um, I think during the pandemic, this got illuminated in a twofold way for me is, so I mentioned before controversy with civility. And in 2020, well, January, 2020, when we first started this priority, controversy with civility was two roommates, first year students who can't seem to get along, how do they move through it? By the end of 2020, it was grandson at the table with grandma and they don't like the same politician. Controversy with civility became really real when it was no longer the simulation of me and my student organization and my student organization leader. And so it's a whole new interrogation of how we do leadership education development. The other thing is is the who is a leadership educator. You know, I've been in some conversations with people where we've got to interrogate. It's not just, you know, the Lawrence, the Dan's and the Carries, but it's the grandma at the table. It is the pastor in your your in your place of worship. It is your little league coach. And so how are we getting leadership education diffused to the masses? Because these people are teaching leadership, whether they know that's what they're doing or not. And I think that as this agenda priority continues to grow and evolve and more, because, you know, from 2020 to clearly to 2025, there's a lot that's happened and we're only three years in. I think that's one of the ways this continues to grow. So leadership educators starting to think about how do you not silo the conversations, but when you bring in examples, invites tend to bring in examples, not just from maybe a club and organization, but from their off-campus job, from at home. And when they think about leadership educators, it doesn't simply have to be the coordinator of student activities, but it could be their whoever are those key central figures in their life and then see how they can apply theory there. I think that's going to magnify the type of leadership development and leadership learning that we're hoping for students to get in our courses and curricular and co-curricular spaces. What an incredible point, right? We, we often... I know for me, when I get into class, half my job is, is, 
you know, kind of breaking down what they think about who's a leader and who isn't, you know, I ask who's a leader and it's like Martin Luther King and like all these things. I'm like, he is wonderful. Don't want to take anything away from him, but you're following somebody now. Martin Luther King wasn't on social media, but yet you have beliefs about how it works. Right. And so I love that you share that because one of the things when Dan, you were talking about the evaluation of these programs, it, it made me think like, well, no, like we don't have to go far to see the results of our leadership training. And I, I also know a lot of conversations I have my students kind of know what to do. They have a very clear sense of, of right and wrong and how to care for other people. And a lot of it is looking up and especially in their jobs at people who may lovingly be over the age of 35 and didn't take a leadership course, but they're still out there in influential roles and positions. And we're seeing this kind of shift in terms of our world and our expectations. Um, and then kind of looking at the young people like get in line and they're like, nah, we know better. Like we know some of this, isn't it? And so, so I love that you, it, it, it almost made me think of like this kind of leadership education outside the classroom, but also like leadership education in your house and at your job and at your internship site, because simply because, because, because of that, because the influence is coming from other places. Because Martin Luther King is like the Easter bunny. Martin Luther King is a mythical creature for a lot of people. They, they, you know, they've never seen Martin Luther King in the flesh. They've seen statues of Martin Luther King. And so Martin Luther King is a mythical creature, but who's not mythical? Your grandparent, your parent, your internship supervisor. You know, let's, how do we codify leadership into real tangible terms using examples that you can personally identify with? Because Martin Luther King, I mean, it literally, it's like a mythical creature for people. And so there's not the connection. Martin Luther King was not on the gram, you know, or doing TikTok videos, you know, but that's the energy that you're experiencing in the world today. And so I think as educators, yes, it's good to honor those great leaders of the past that exemplify some of the leadership theories that we want to celebrate, but we also got to acknowledge their place in the conversation in 2023. And how applicable are they going to be as the example teachers for the learning we're trying to support our students with? And really quick, you're right about him, about Martin Luther King being a, a, a mythical figure of sorts. And, and I also wonder how often we get stuck in those mindsets where we have this, these 10 people are leaders. I, I told, a, a, it'll someone will probably hear it twice, but I told a story about how my son for three straight years has been writing about Muhammad Ali and I, for Black History Month, and I didn't know. And I was like, well, why? And he's like, well, it's easy. I don't have to go do any research. I know all the facts. And I'm just like, I'm in trouble. And he's not wrong, though. Like nobody is pushing him to think about someone else. Uh, and he doesn't even like boxing like that, neither here nor there. But I, it, it kind of goes back to his teachers, myself. We weren't equipped for these conversations. And we thought the assignment was good on the surface. And now I got to jump in at parent-teacher conference and be like, if you see Muhammad Ali, tell him thank you, but no thank you. And get ask him to go find somebody else because he's not finding any new research. He's just recycling the old. I think what, what our stories and examples are illustrating is also how this priority intersects with some of the other priorities. We talked about what makes it distinct, but there's a lot of intersection, particularly around the practice of practices of leadership education. Right? If we're trying to name these competencies and these practices, you know, we need methods that meet the moment. And there was a there was someone at the Leadership Education Academy shared a piece of feedback that was just sticks with me. And they were coming from a non-traditional um, a non-traditional 
leadership educator role working more kind of with industry, but they asked like, what's the leadership education of the future? It feels like what we're learning is a representation of what's worked in the past, but what is leadership education in the future? And I was like, oh, you know, so even when we think we're innovative, right, we're still often relying on the methods that have met the moment of the past. And so the challenge for us, it feels like, is to say, how do we stay sensitive and responsive to the future? And that in itself is a competency, right? That adaptiveness and that um, ability to navigate the complexity um, is itself a, a competency to, to think about. So when I think about that from a research lens, though, is what are the methods of research that meet this moment that can answer those questions and get at that nuance? And that um, as someone who now works in a graduate program and has my lens has shifted now just from like, I need to be thinking about these myself, but then how do I think about preparing future educators and future researchers too? I spent a lot of my time helping people think about doing research um, is how do we continue to advance methodologically? How do we continue to advance the the theoretical frameworks that are informing our research. And I know that's maybe a whole nother conversation starts getting into the weeds, but right, like we need these, we need to continue to think about how we situate the research um, and, and, and explore methods that might not be familiar to us, but are very much help, gonna help us answer these questions. Um, so that helps me stay on my edge as a, as a learner and an educator and a researcher uh, to keep trying new things, uh, to think about what is, what is that? What does the future need? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like classic framing and envisioning and, and some of the, the techniques we think about and we teach, it, it's really applying them to your, your passion and practice. I love it. Yeah. And these aren't, I mean, not to be cliche, but like, these aren't technical problems, right? These are adaptive challenges. And it's so interesting how much responsibility we take and, and maybe even it's, uh, seen in like hyperbole with like this co-author group because of some of the responsibility that we put on ourselves and some of the contributions that 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 this group has been humbly I guess able to to make to the field and to lift up others it just has has me think about how we just do so much modeling right and so here we are out like doing doing some of this as well I guess it end with I, I think we've talked about everything we we had hoped to is there anything we didn't uh, ask y'all that you want to make sure to, to add to this conversation before we, we wrap up. I just want to give another thank you to our co-authors who their brilliance really strengthened this whole piece. I, I, I don't know if I've left many um, exercises more proud of the process and the people who I had an opportunity to work with. So Carrie and I just represent a fraction. Well, Carrie, Dan and I represent just a fraction of the brilliance that was part of this um, priority. And so I just wanna uh, take this moment to formally acknowledge those others who are co-authors on this particular priority. Carrie, do you have any final comments? Yeah, I just wanna invite folks to do this work, right? That uh, if you have an interest in this uh, priority, in this focus for your scholarship and your research, to reach out to any of us, reach out to this author team, uh, to, to at the conferences, you know, bring your ideas and let's continue to advance this, this priority together. I feel like you said answer page, answer questions too on page 57 of the agenda. 
<laughs> I feel like it's very clear cut, very laid out, which is appreciated. Um, so we thank y'all today. We know you're super busy. It's a busy time of the year. You're grading, getting ready for graduation. Um, we appreciate having you on the show. We always appreciate having you. We know that you'll be on in future episodes as well. Um, we're also excited to share this episode and this priority with other folks. And we think that there will be that great benefit. So your calls to action when y'all come back in like three years or 2025, I'm sure will have been heated. Um, and there'll be more research to talk about, but also more to critique as well to continue advancing the field. So thank y'all. We appreciate it. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org. 